and, and take, uh, take a turn ministering while Pastor Dave is absent. Uh, I've been teaching from the book of Joshua. We started in Joshua chapter 1, and now we're up to Joshua chapter 23. It's been a long five or so years since I started, but it's been great trying to, trying to uh, extract from the text all these things about Joshua and the people of Israel as they went into the promised land. So today, our, our, uh, our, our lesson is going to be chapter 23. Now, we've uh, completed three of the four sections, if you remember. And if you haven't been here, I'll try to uh, bring you up to speed as best I can. But uh, there's four sections in the book. Uh, we had the uh, commissioning of Joshua and crossing over the Jordan in chapters 1 through 5. Uh, we had the conquest of the land in chapters 6 through, uh, through 12. The division of the land to all the tribes, all the uh, 12 tribes in uh, verses 13 through 21. And the, the last section is really Joshua's farewell charge to the nation. Last time, chapter 22, there was a near civil war as the uh, two and a half tribes uh, were dismissed by Joshua to their inheritance on the eastern side of the Jordan, which is called Gilead. And so now we're going to look at Joshua's farewell address, this is part one of uh, two parts. Chapter 24 is the second part. We'll, we'll look at that next time, next week. That's the, uh, that's the plan. Okay, so, oops. Yeah, we don't need the presenter's view on screen. Uh, let's see. From the beginning. Well, that's not going to give me my notes, Mike, that I did that. I have them on the slides. Uh, let's see. Joel, any idea? How do, how do I get it off the, uh, the projector? Ah, there we go. Thank you, Mike. Who said Mike's not technically savvy? <laughs> I know he did, right? Okay, so uh, Joshua's charged the nation. And just to give some context, well, let's go back to Joshua chapter 21. This is at the end of the uh, division of the land. And we have the Hebrew... And he gave the Lord to Israel all the land that he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they took possession and they lived in it. Now this is my translation from the Hebrew. And it's going to be choppy, but as a uh, beginning Hebrew student, uh, please forgive that uh, roughness and, and try to follow along with your... Uh, I'm trying to keep the Hebrew orders, basically what I'm trying to do here. Uh, verse 44, and he gave the Lord to them rest on every side according to all that he has sworn to their fathers and no man stood before them, all of their enemies, all their enemies he gave the Lord into their hand. They conquered the land that uh, was set before them under Joshua and it was dispersed. Verse 45, not, one, not failed one of all the good promises that he spoke the Lord 
to the sons of Israel all came in. So what can we learn so far from, from this? Is we can learn that God is faithful. He made a promise, and he kept it. And he keeps them for us in our day. Second, God is good. He gave them rest from all the outside nations. Now, there were still pockets of resistance within the boundaries that each tribe received, but they were uh, free from any outside uh, uh, nation uh, coming, coming to attack them. We see that God is compassionate. He gave them cities of refuge, and he gave them uh, cities that were already built. And then the cities of refuge there were to protect the innocent from being unjustly persecuted. And we also learn that God blesses those who love him. Uh, this is the Exodus, the Exodus generation that passed away because they didn't trust God. But uh, the conquest generation uh, had a different attitude. They, they trusted God and they uh, followed God and they walked with God. So remember that Paul also was a, uh, an unbliever who viciously uh, persecuted the church, but he was zealous for God but without knowledge of God. These people had knowledge of God because they uh, wandered in the desert 40 years with God providing for them. And this is all uh, because of the Abrahamic covenant. All of the things that Joshua was doing in leading the uh, tribe into the promised land is because of the Abrahamic covenant that God had made. It was God's channel of blessing, not just to Israel, but to all the nations, because the Messiah was going to come through Israel for the blessing of all the peoples of the earth. Now, this is different. This is unconditional. Uh, God's going to do what he says he's going to do, and that's in contrast with the Mosaic covenant that the Exodus generation came out of Egypt and agreed to at Mount Sinai. So the Abrahamic covenant, as you remember, God promised Abraham three things, and they are a land, a seed, and worldwide blessing. So we have the land promise is further amplified in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. The seed promise is amplified in the, by the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and the worldwide blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant is amplified by the new covenant and that's uh, found in Jeremiah chapter 31. Okay. So here's an outline of uh, chapter 23. It's seven sections. It's only 16 verses. Does anybody remember which chapter had the fewest verses? That's chapter, uh, chapter 16. That's the uh, dispersion to the tribe of Ephraim. Ironically, it's Joshua's tribe that uh, gets the least amount of attention there. All right, so the outline goes as follows. Uh, Joshua summons all Israel, and we're going to see that's not accurate, completely accurate, verses 1 through 2. Oops. What God has done is talked about by Joshua in verses 3 to 4, what God has done for them. Third section, what God will do in the future if they're obedient to the covenant, verse 5. The fourth is uh, what Israel must do, their part in this, uh, their part that they have to do. And then uh, verse 5, there's some historical background. The Lord fought for Israel. Joshua recounts uh, what, what God has done, verses 9 through 11. He only does part. He doesn't do everything. But. 
and then Joshua's first warning to the nation, or to what we're going to see is the leaders of the nation, uh, in verses 12 through 13, and then his second warning, verses 14 through 16. All right, so just uh, to give some uh, background on what uh, Joshua is about to, to say in this chapter, we need to go back to uh, what Moses said in his last words to Israel. So if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 29, I'm not going to go through everything that Moses said because it was quite extensive, but I think there's some things that we can talk about here that will... Uh, Come back as we uh, go over what Joshua says in chapter 23, because it's very similar. So in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 1, and I'm going to read this because I don't have slides for these, uh, for what Moses says, but verse 1, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant he made with them at Horeb. So this is in addition to the covenant made at Mount Sinai. This is for the conquest generation going into the land. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reach this place, and this is where they are presently located, in the land of Moab on the eastern side of the Jordan, When you reached this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out to meet us for battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manassites. So keep the words of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do, you stand today, all of you, or you stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, and your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the alien who is within your camps, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today. In order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you, and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, this is the part of um, Moses' speech to, his, to the nation. He, he doesn't have much longer to uh, be on the earth. God's going to take him home shortly. But he wants to make sure that they know that God loves them and that they're required to love the Lord. And God is making a covenant with them today that they can uh, have success and have and prosper in the land that they're going into. I'm going to skip down to uh, chapter 30, verse 15. If you want to turn there, I urge you to read the whole, all the text, because uh, it's very uh, profitable for teaching. But 
in uh, chapter 30, verse 15, see, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Very good words of encouragement. Verse 17, But if your heart turns away and you will, will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, in your, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. There is pretty, pretty basic life and death. Obey the Lord, the Lord, love the Lord. If you disobey, you're going to perish. And finally, I want to uh, move on to chapter 31, verse 14. This is where God speaks to Moses. This is, Mo this is God speaking now, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. The Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood at the doorway of the tent. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers, and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land, into the midst of which they are going, and will forsake me, and break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them, in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say, In that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But God continues, But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. Now I read these passages from Deuteronomy and from what Moses had said, because we're going to see Joshua says a lot of the same things. He repeats a lot of the warnings and, and promises a blessing in his uh, farewell speech as well. Uh, just to highlight the rest of Deuteronomy, verse, chapter 32, we have Moses' song, the great song that Moses writes. And then chapter 33, Moses blesses Israel, and then followed by chapter 34, where there's the account of his death. You know, it's kind of funny, Moses is 120 years old and God commands him to go climb up Mount Nebo to the top. <laughs> Something not many 120-year-olds, uh, I, I, I say, would look forward to. Anyway, let's get back to our study of Joshua. So here we have Joshua 23, verse 1. And it happened, after many days, that the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies, from all around, 
And Joshua was old and advanced in years. And, and this is kind of like a one long text, so I kind of have to break it up by verse. But uh, I just want to show that that word used as says advanced in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word bow, which as Mike would know is uh, to come in. And basically it's Joshua's coming in often and, and coming for, going forth in his uh, life on earth. He had been uh, retired from service. Uh, there's no specific date given, but it, most scholars think that it was probably 15 to 20 years after what happened, the events of chapter 22. Uh, we know that Joshua lived to be 110, and if he was uh, about the same age as Caleb, who was 85 at the end of the conquest, Joshua would have been around 105 at this point. So he knows he doesn't have much longer to live, and uh, so he gathers and, and puts out the... Uh, well, we're going to see in verse, verse 2. And he called Joshua for all Israel, for their old ones and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, kind of what Moses had said earlier, and he said to them, I am old and advanced in years. So he summons not all the people. I think it's, we've we got to understand this is two different chapters, 23 and 24, two different events. Uh, the, this one is for all the leaders of all the tribes. He's going to address all the people in, in chapter 24. So he basically repeats what uh, verse 1 says. I am old and advanced in years, like I said, probably around 105. And doesn't say where this was held, but uh, many scholars think it was probably at Shiloh, which was in, in the tribe of Ephraim, as we learned. And uh, Ephraim uh, was Joshua's tribe. Shiloh was where the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were located. So it would make sense that he would uh, have it there. And Shiloh, it's not on this map, but it's south of Shechem. Shechem is one of the... Uh, uh, cities of refuge, and it's halfway between Shechem and, Le and Bethel. So it's uh, in that territory, the purple territory of Ephraim. And uh, Shechem, if you remember in the uh, account in Genesis, that's where uh, the Lord, or Abraham, first built an altar to the Lord at Shechem. And Shechem was also where Joshua built an altar to the Lord uh, in chapter 8. That, uh, they had a covenant renewal ceremony. And he wrote out a copy of the law and posted it, uh, posted it there at the altar. That was between, uh, you know, on Mount Ebal and on Mount Gerizim. Chapter 23, verse 3. And you have seen all that he has done, the Lord your God, to all these nations before you. Because the Lord your God, it is he fighting for you. All right, so these men have all seen, and that's the Hebrew word ra'ah. It's uh, calperfect. It means to see, but also to understand, to perceive. Yeah, they saw what God had done in, in uh, conquering all the nations and tribes that, in the cities uh, of, of the Canaanites, but they also understood what that meant. God, God was doing it. Uh, and God is fighting for us. You know, he, he prepares each one of us for our ministries. And, and clears obstacles 
and prepares us, just as he did for Israel here in, in the conquest. Okay. So, the, and the word fighting, uh, that's lacham, it's a nifl. God is the one fighting for them. Verse 4. See, I have let fall to you these nations remaining as an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan and all the nations that I have cut off to the great sea to the setting of the sun. So from the Jordan all the way to the Mediterranean, he had cut off all the major strongholds of the Canaanites and uh, decimated their cities so that it was basically left to each tribe to finish uh, the mop-up session. Uh, The word translated fall, it's the Hebrew nafal, and it means to fall. No surprise, it's one one of the easier words to remember in Hebrew. In the Lord your God, he will push or shove them out from before you and drive them out from before you, and you will inherit their land, just as he spoke the Lord your God. So they still had an obligation to finish the work. And many times that's true in our lives. We have pockets of our lives that need to be addressed and uh, brought before the Lord so he can wipe them out for us. Uh, We're prone to sin. We're sinners saved by grace. And just as uh, Israel had uh, pockets of the uh, Canaanites still in their territory, it was their obligation. God had commanded them to drive them out. the word is translated push-shove. It's hadaf. It's a cal imperfect. But, and that's what it means, to push-shove uh, violently. And drive out, it's a different word, yarash. And it's the hifil, which means to cause, to, di- to possess, or dispossess. In this case, to dispossess, drive them out. Get them out of there. And then they will inherit their land, just as he spoke the Lord your God to you. Verse 6, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Do not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Again, this is something that uh, uh, Joshua was familiar with because when God commissioned him, he said three times in chapter 1, be strong and courageous. And that's what God expects uh, for us. You know, we're not to be fearful, we're not to be uh, cowardly, we're supposed to be strong and courageous in serving him. That is how uh, God expects us to, to do, not to turn aside to the right hand or to the left. These people were uh, going to be living amongst other pagans who would try to uh, entice them and tempt them to follow their gods, but they had to be strong. That's uh, something that uh, we also fall into uh, having to, to maintain our, our witness and our testimony by obeying the Lord at all times. You know, the Bible tells us, walk by means of the Spirit, and we will not uh, be able to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 7. So that you will not go along. This is why they're doing it. Do not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, so that you will not go along with these nations, these remaining among you, and the name of their God you will not mention and not make anyone swear to them and not serve them and not bow down to them. 
So we have uh, a lot of uh, warnings here that Joshua points out uh, that they're going to be these other tribes, these other pagans uh, among them, and they're going to try to draw them away from, from the God, that, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're going to try to make them serve them, swear to them, and bow down to them. Now, bowing down, that's uh, really an overt act of worship. And the first commandment is, uh, they will have no other gods before me. That's what God uh, told them. And uh, they had uh, acknowledged. And, you know, they're going to have the uh, other peoples trying to do exactly that, have them worship a foreign god, which will drive them from the land. God will no longer fight their battles, and they will suffer immensely. Verse 8, But to the Lord your God you will cling, as you have done to this day. So here, in this verse, uh, in the Hebrew, the Lord is, is fronted for emphasis. You know, don't serve the pagan gods, but the Lord your God you will cling to, as you have done to this day. And Joshua praises them. They were obedient in everything, when he dismissed them, he said that the people did everything he had asked them to do. They obeyed him just as they obeyed Moses. And so he has praise for them here. Uh, the Hebrew word cling, uh, translated cling, davak, it means to cling, stick, to, cleave, hold. Uh, it's not an imperative, as you would think, uh, reading the English, you will cling. No, it's not an imperative, but uh, it is something that they need to do. They need to cling to the Lord, something we need to do. Uh, to cling to God in good times and in bad, especially the bad, uh, to trust God in all situations. Okay, so verse 9. And he has driven out the Lord from before you, nations great and strong, for you no man has stood before you to this day. Again, a repeat of many of the things that Moses said, but, uh, you know, God was fighting those battles. I mean, they had no uh, chariots. They had no weapons like the uh, Canaanites had, and yet they were de able to defeat them because God was fighting the battle. And he fights our battles. Keep that in mind. You know, no matter what's going on uh, in everything, God is working all things together for good to those who love him. And he's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave you out to dry. Uh, he's going to bring you along and he has a plan for you. And so be patient, be loving, be trusting in God because he is loving you. Verse 10. And this is an explanation of how being God is, is being uh, gracious to them. He says, one man from you chases a thousand for you, the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he spoke to you. Imagine that, one man chasing a thousand because they're fearful of who's really fighting for them. Now, this is uh, chasing. That's the Hebrew word radaf. It means pursue, chase, follow after. And it's used 19 times in the book of Joshua. So many times we had already come across this word where they were uh, fighting an enemy and the enemy fled before them because not because of who Israel was, but because God was leading the fight. Uh, if you remember in... in uh, one of the chapters about the uh, conquest, uh, God sent hailstones uh, on the enemy as they were fleeing, and, and more died from the hailstones than from the, the, the men of Israel fighting, fighting them. So 
God can uh, accomplish his purpose, and he will accomplish his purpose. So take heed exceedingly to yourselves to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. That's our responsibility. How many times do we see in the New Testament the same command? Love one another, but love God. Love the Lord your God. Now, the Hebrew word for love is, is ahav. And, uh, you know, I was, when I was growing up, I remember there was a, a song about love. I think the Beatles, the Beatles sang that song, used this word. I have you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have you. Well, they did it better than I can. <laughs> but uh, that's the Hebrew word for love, and we're commanded to love God. Why should we love God? Why should we love God? Because of who he is, what he's done for us. I mean, think about it. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we should love God. We should love him. He provides for us each and every day. He gives us uh, shelter, food, clothing, all these things that uh, Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, God provides for us, but he wants us to love him. And that's, our, that's on us. And, and really, when you think about it, God is easy to love. He is very easy to love. What a great God we have. Okay. Verse 12. For if, turning back, you turn back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them, and go in with them, and they with you. Uh, I'll stop there, but uh, that first, first line... For if turning back, you turn back. Does that sound familiar? That's a, a Hebrew construction that's very, uh, very unique. It's called a, a paranomastic, paranomastic infinitive. And it's the, it's the Hebrew infinitive absolute followed by the imperfect. It's the same verb used twice in different forms. And if you recall... You can see it in Genesis 2.17 where God says to uh, uh, Adam and Eve that uh, if you eat of the fruit, dying you will die. Dying you will die. So it's, it's used to intensify the verbal action. And in here, it's, if you turn back and cling to the rest of these nations, I mean, your, your Bible may translate it. If you will certainly, whatever. Uh, these, and you intermarry with them. That's... Uh, something that the, the law banned. They were not to do that. They were to stay uh, separate from the, the nations. But if you intermarry with them and go in with them and they with you, um, you know, the, the word intermarry, it's a hippiel stem. So I can see Mike's uh, wrinkling his, <laughs> his face, but the hippiel, it, it, it's a Hebrew uh, form that it, it expresses an intensive type of action with a reflexive voice. The subject of the verb performs the verbal action on itself. So you can see why it's in that form. If you're intermarrying, yeah, you're part of that. You're initiating it, but you're also going along with it and participating in that action. And they're not supposed to do that. But uh, it's interesting that uh, this is specifically mentioned by Joshua here. Um, that intermarriage with the pagans, was not to, be, uh, not to be done. Why? 
knowing that you will know. Again, we have the same paranomastic construction here. And that only means it's a word play. You're using the same verb, but in two different forms. Knowing you will know that he will not continue the Lord your God to drive out these nations. So know for certain that if you do these things, just mention, God is not going to uh, continue to drive out these nations before you. You will suffer. And as we know historically, eventually it led to them being uh, removed from the land. What a, what a sad state of affairs to have a blessing from God, and then it gets taken away. And um, that's what happened to them. Don't let it happen to you. You know, God has blessed us, I'm sure each of us individually, uh, that you may lose things because of your behavior, because of your decisions. Don't let that happen. You know what God's will is. Do it. Obey the Lord. And he will continue to bless you and fight for you. And as it says here, those nations, if you... If you turn from him, they will be to you a snare, a trap, and a whip to your sides. Now, just think about that. A whip to your sides. Yeah, your back is exposed. It may toughen up a little, but your arms protect your sides, so it's going to be a little more sensitive. And when you get whipped there, it's going to hurt more. Thorns in your eyes. The next phrase. Thorns in your eyes. Uh, that's To me, that sounds like a, uh, such a tremendous painful experience to have something like that. But that's what these nations will be to the, to the Israelites if they turn from God. And then what's the uh, end result? Until you perish from off this good land that he gave to you, the Lord your God. So, uh, and that word perish it just means to be uh, perished, destroyed, irreparably damaged. It's a very strong word in the Hebrew uh, but you will perish from off this good land that he gave you. God gave you this land. But if you do these things, God is going to, uh, you will perish, and then your descendants will be removed from the land. Verse 14a, now behold, I am going this day. This is Joshua, now he's beginning to sum up uh, what, what, his, what his message is. Now behold, I am going this day in the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls. Now, it does uh, have the Hebrew word nefesh there, your souls. So it's not just your heart, your mind, your soul. It's, it's your, your being. You know all this. So do it. That not has failed one word of all the good words that he spoke, the Lord your God, about you. All have been fulfilled for you, not has failed of them one word Devarakad. So, uh, failed. That's the word translated failed. It's uh, nafal again, default, collapse, disappoint. And there's some disappointment aspect of that if they fail. You know, God had given them this. He, he wants them to be prosperous. He wants them to succeed. He wants them to uh, be a light in the world. But uh, if they do not uh, obey, then they're going to fail. God never fails, though. God never fails. He has a plan. He's not going to fail. All have been fulfilled for you, not has failed of them. One word that God spoke to them. Verse 15, first part. And it shall happen just as upon you all the good words which the Lord your God spoke uh, to you. That good is tov in the Hebrew. 
so will the Lord bring upon you all the evil words until he has destroyed you from off this good land that he gave to you, the Lord your God. Now, I, I think the NA, NASB says threats, but it's really evil words is the, he, is the Hebrew. Um, and, and he's going to keep, if you keep uh, disobeying, he's going to keep uh, bringing judgment. And uh, we don't want to be under God's judgment. That's not uh, why we're saved. We're saved to love him, to obey him, to serve him, and to love one another. And we can't do that if we're in a pattern of, of sin in our lives. All right, so that word destroyed, shamad in the Hebrew is to be exterminated, destroyed, used six times in Joshua. So he's, he's really emphasizing it in this. Uh, it was used for the, concerning the things under the ban in chapter 7 when they uh, uh, defeated uh, Jericho. They weren't to take anything. It was always to be destroyed. Uh, the Canaanites were described as being uh, to be destroyed. And here it's used if Israel themselves, if they uh, turn from God, they're going to be destroyed. So it's uh, not, not a pleasant ending uh, to his speech here. And then lastly, in, in verse 16, when you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you go, and you serve other gods, and you bow down to them, then we'll burn the anger of the Lord against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. So that kind of sums up his last two, the two, last two verses there really lay it out that uh, you know, God will judge you if you don't uh, keep his ways, uh, if you don't obey the covenant which you agreed to, you are going to uh, suffer that fate. And historically, we saw that. Uh, they were eventually removed from the land by the, first the northern kingdom by the Assyrians, and then uh, the Babylonians uh, took out the southern kingdom and destroyed the temple. Okay, so what can we learn from Joshua chapter 23? I always like to sum up some of the key points that we have, and, and I got three of them here. First of, all, first of all, we must obey the Lord's calling. You know, God calls each one of us because he has a plan for us, and he has work for each of us to do. And so we must obey it. Joshua obeyed his calling. He was Moses' servant, and then God raised him up and, and prepared him uh, to lead the nation. And God prepares each one of us. God doesn't throw us into... Uh, situations or have work for us to do that we can accomplish. He grooms us, he prepares us, and he gives us the tools, the resources to do those, uh, those tasks that he wants us to do, raising us up through our life experiences and giving us spiritual gifts that properly exercised will glorify God. So obey God's calling. That's uh, the first one, first one I wanted to bring out. Second, we must learn from more mature believers. I mean, we don't know it all. Even as we uh, come to Christ, we need the expertise, the teaching, the training that other believers, more mature, can give us. Now, for Joshua's case, he had Moses. And, uh, you know, we don't have Moses. Uh, and the apostles had the Lord himself. But there's always more uh, mature believers, more people knowledgeable about God's ways than us. And seek them out. Seek their advice. Seek their counsel. 
study under them and with them uh, just so that you can grow and be all that God wants you to be so that you're uh, ready to rightly divide the word of truth and to walk and do those things in advance that God has prepared for us to walk in. All right, so Joshua and, and the apostles really learn from uh, other believers. And lastly, I'll, I just want to more on a more contemporary issue. Whenever possible, on important issues, deal with other people face-to-face. This is what Moses did. This is what Joshua did. And in our culture, we can find it so easy to text or to email, and we lose something uh, in doing that, we got to, when, when we can, take the time to face-to-face, to talk about the things you want to talk about and to teach and the questions you have. Do it face-to-face. Okay. So that's it for Chapter 23. Next time, we're going to look at chap- Chapter 24 next Sunday. Joshua's Farewell Address Part 2. And this time, it's to the entire nation. Uh, so let's just, I'll just close in a word of prayer. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for this uh, exciting study of the book of Joshua and his first farewell address to the leaders of Israel at the time. Lord, we love you. We want to uh, love you even more. Give us that capacity. Help us. Guide us. Keep training us. We know you are intimately involved in the lives of each of us. Father, help us to not lose sight of that, to look to you, especially in the the times where it's not what we expect and, and we have... Uh, adversity. Uh, We know that you are, like I said before, working all things together for good. Help us to to continue to trust you in all of the things that we do in every area of our life. Uh, We ask your protection upon our pastor while he's away and your blessing upon each of the men who will be filling the pulpit in his absence. And we look forward to the rest of the day. Help us to uh, take these things to heart as Joshua was a model for us that he Uh, was strong and courageous. Help us to be strong and courageous in a world that desperately needs uh, to know about you and what Jesus Christ has done for for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay.